Is to God in the 
Bibles again to Matthew chapter 5, and while you're doing that, I want you to use your imagination this morning. Can you do that? Now, I know it's been a long week, and uh, new routines and new school routes and all that, maybe a long time since you've used your imagination, but I want to challenge you this morning to use your imagination, or at least humor me, if you will, and try. Now, I want you to picture yourself on a school playground and there are a lot of other kids on that playground with you playing, okay? Can you picture that in your mind's eye? Picture yourself on a school playground, lots of other kids in the playground. Now listen, this is an old school playground, all right? Uh, this is one of those playgrounds with seesaws made out of wood and monkey bars and tires that are half buried sticking up out of the ground. We used to play King of the Mountain. Did y'all ever do that? I did. Um, swing sets with boards, not plastic. I mean boards that when they hit you in the back of the head, knock your brains out. Uh, merry-go-rounds that make you throw up or throw you off. I mean metal slides that are so hot in the summertime it make your bottom burn all the way down. You got that in your mind's eye? You're using your imagination now. You're on that playground. There's no cell phones. There's no social media. The only Facebook is the nerd over by the fence with his face in a book. That's the only Facebook there. And you're out there on that playground. So you put that in your mind's eye. Can you see it? Have you got that picture? You're on that playground. Lots of other kids out there with you. The sounds and scenes of a school playground. Now keep watching. And I want you to notice a fight has broken out on the playground. Now don't answer out loud, but think in your own mind. You're watching this in your own mind's eye. A fight is broken out. Where are you? The fight's going on. Where are you? Maybe you're in the crowd that's gathered around and you're beginning to root for one of the kids. Punch him in the gut. Knock his likes out. You're there rooting for somebody. Maybe you're on your way to tell a teacher and you're running as fast as your little legs can carry you to get a teacher, someone in authority. Or, or maybe, if you're honest about it, you're one of the kids in the fight. 
You're throwing punches. You're sweating. You're trying to defend yourself. Or maybe among us today, there's somebody, as you're looking at that playground, you're actually the one who's quickly gathered others and you're taking bets and taking kids' milk money on who's going to win the bet and writing it down the back of your homework, making a little money on the side. Where are you in this story? Or maybe, just maybe, you're the one who's stepping in trying to stop the fight. Or maybe you and somebody else are beginning to try to pull these two kids away from each other and to restore a semblance of peace to the playground. Now, I don't know where you pictured yourself in that account, but I do know that in life, we don't often get very far from those types of altercations even after we graduate and even after we stop playing hopscotch. Our world is filled with strife and disagreements and fighting. And we graduate from the playground, but many times not from the trouble. And these fights that our world is filled with, it may include fists, yes, it may include weapons, but many times these disagreements and these fights, they mostly involve words and actions and gestures that are meant to tear down and to wound and to dominate and to injure. It happens in the home. It happens at school. It happens at work, and sad to say, yes, it even happens in the church. And again, when those type of things are going on in your world, it's important, it's good for you to consider where are you in the midst of that disagreement and that fight and that strife. In other words, are you a troublemaker or are you a peacemaker? Now, I bring all this up this morning not just because school just went back in and not because the, we're thinking about playgrounds and those sorts of things, but we're finding ourselves near the end of the Beatitudes. You know, we've been, all summer we've been in the Beatitudes together. And we've got one more message after today and we'll be done with that series. And uh, we find ourselves near the end and we find ourselves confronted with these words of the Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter 5. Verse 9, the Lord Jesus says these words, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Now, if I were to ask you to use one word to describe our world in which we live, you know, you may choose a variety of words, but I can guarantee that there are two words that you would not choose. You would not choose the word peace. And you would not choose the word peaceful to describe our world. It's anything but that. And that's been true since the beginning when we fell and we chose sin over God. Now listen, don't blame God for that. All the strife and all the stuff going Don't blame God. He's a God of peace. Jot these references down. I'll put them on the screen for you. Romans chapter 15, verse 33. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Well, that's a good benediction, isn't it? Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. 1 Corinthians 14.33 For God is not the author of confusion, but of what? Of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. He's not the author of this confusion. He is the author of peace. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 16 Now may the Lord of peace Himself Give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with you all. It was noted in my studies this past week. You know the Bible. God's book. 
Think about it. It begins in peace and it ends in peace. You ever think about that? When you go to Genesis, the very beginning of Genesis, what do you have? You have a picture of peace. There in the Garden of Eden, a picture of perfection. Man and woman dwelling with God, walking with God and talking with God and rejoicing with God. And you have peace in the beginning. And then when you get to the end in Revelation, what do you have? You have peace. You have a new heaven and a new earth. And you have a glorified people in the end. It's a book that begins in peace and ends with peace. And the problem is, in between, we messed it up. Sin is the problem. That's why there's no peace. We believe the devil's lie. And we chose to disobey God. And it plunged us and it plunged our world into this lack of peace. Sin is the problem. Do you see, beloved, how much, how much we need peacemakers in our world? Well, that brings me to my first point this morning as we look at this beatitude together. And I want you to jot this down if you would. To be a peacemaker, you must first know the peace giver. To be a peacemaker, you must first know the peace giver. You say, well, preacher, who is the peace giver? Well, I think you know who it is. It's none other than the Prince of Peace himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Prince of Peace. He is the peace giver. And to be a peacemaker, to be blessed as a peacemaker, you must first know the peace giver. And that is the Lord himself. Let me show you some scripture. Again, I'll put it on the screen. You can jot down the references. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Familiar passage to many. We read this at Christmas time. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Then what's it say? Prince of Peace. That's Jesus. Luke chapter 2, verse 14. What did they declare at his birth? Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. In fact, put your finger there in Matthew 5. And would you find real quickly Ephesians chapter 2? I want to show you some Scripture. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. And I want you to see how He is the Prince of Peace, how He is the peace giver in our lives. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. Ephesians 2, 14 through 18. Talking about the Lord Jesus. Don't lose your place in Matthew. We're coming back. But Ephesians chapter 2, 14 through 18, it says, For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. Verse 16, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Now listen, beloved, because of our sin, because we're sinners, because we've um, offended a holy God, we're separated from him. And we need someone to reconcile us to God. And the only one that can reconcile us to God is the Prince of Peace. It is the one who gives peace. It is peace Himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you've never received Him today, I encourage you to turn from your sin and place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and let Him bring peace to your life. But you know what? How is it that He did that? Well, I think Colossians chapter 1, verses 19-20 through summarize it 
in a wonderful way, better than I could just say it. It says in Colossians 1, 19-20, For it pleased the Father that in Him all the fullness should dwell, and by Him to reconcile all things to Himself, by Him, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Watch the next part. Having made peace through the blood of His cross. Because of the cross. We just think about the cross. Love ran red. At the cross, at the cross. It's the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ that makes it possible for us to be reconciled to a holy God and to have peace. And if you don't know Him today, I encourage Him. I encourage you to give your life to Jesus Christ. Now listen, I want you to notice we study today, we're back in Matthew 5, I want you to notice that being a peacemaker is not necessarily easy. In fact, being a peacemaker is risky, it's costly, it can even be dangerous and deadly. I mean, think about what it costs the Lord Jesus Christ to give us peace. It cost Him His life. He gave His life on the cross. Uh, J. Oswald Sanders said, The peacemaker achieves conciliation by allowing his own peace to be broken. Now think about that in regards to the Lord Jesus Christ. I think that's a wonderful description. He was in peace and glory in eternity forever in perfect harmony and fellowship with the other members of the Trinity and yet He allowed His peace to be broken as He came here to die for us. The old Gospel song says, He left the splendor of heaven knowing His destiny was the lonely hill of Golgotha there to lay down His life for me. You see, to be a peacemaker, you have to interrupt your own peace at times. And it's costly. And it's risky. And it's dangerous. And it even costs our Lord Jesus Christ His life. He went from riches to rags, from glory to Golgotha. Why? That we might have peace with God. That's why Romans chapter 5, verse 1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the ultimate peacemaker. And until we know Him personally, well, we can never be a peacemaker. You might be thinking, well, wait a minute, preacher. I don't know if I agree with that. Uh, that I have to know the Lord Jesus Christ to be a peacemaker. I mean, I don't have to be a Christian to break up a fight. I don't have to be a Christian to be a mediator between two warring parties. I don't even have to be a Christian to draft a peace treaty. And you know what? You're correct. You can do all those things and be lost. You can even claim to be an atheist and do those things, but you'll still not be a peacemaker like it's being talked about here in this beatitude in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 9. Let me explain. While the idea of peacemaking is very broad and it covers things like I just mentioned, it goes beyond them. You see, it's not just the absence of strife, it's the presence of peace. It's not just the absence of strife, it's the presence of peace. Notice it doesn't say here, blessed are the peace lovers. I think most people are peace lovers. There are some that are not. Some are troublemakers. Uh, but most are peace. But it doesn't say blessed are the peace lovers. Notice it doesn't say blessed are the peacekeepers. Did you notice that? It doesn't say that at all. Yeah, it's good to be a peacekeeper, I guess, right? But it doesn't say blessed are the peacekeepers. Sometimes people keep peace by not doing what's right. Notice it says, blessed are the peacemakers. In other words, this is not a picture of just minding your own business. Okay. Well, I'm not getting involved. It doesn't involve me. No, that's not what it says. 
It, it doesn't say here you just go hide from conflict. You just go kneel behind the wall and just kind of ignore reality. No, this is active participation in bringing about peace. And though it's broad and its application includes many areas, it must begin with the ultimate source of peace, that is God Himself. And until you have peace with God, you can never have true peace in your life. And if you don't have true peace in your life, how in the world can you help other people have peace in their lives? In order to be a peacemaker, you must first know the peace. Giver. Wearsby said it so well. He said, we've got to bear in mind that peace in the Bible is much more than the absence of war. He said, there's no strife in a cemetery, but one would hardly use a cemetery as an example of peace. <laughs> you go hang out there this afternoon and nothing's going to bother you. But that's not the picture of peace that we want. He said, in the Bible, peace is a positive force. It signifies the presence of all that is good and wonderful. When two Jews meet, or they part from one another, they often say shalom. Shalom or peace. But they mean a lot more than just may you have no battles. The word shalom contains in a desire, listen, here's what it means, for all the goodness that God can give, a total well-being from mind, heart, and body. And that's the kind of peace I want, don't you? Not just an absence from war, but to have all the goodness that God can give, a total well-being from mind, heart, and body. Shalom. Peace. A desire for all the good that God can give. Listen, how can you truly desire that for other people when you don't have it yourself? In fact, can I just remind you that you truly can't have the kind of peace that God wants you to have without God working in your life? Not only peace with God, but the peace of God. In fact, do you remember that peace is actually part of the fruit of the Spirit of God? Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. You know, by knowing the peace giver, the Lord Jesus Christ, we can have peace with God and we can have the peace of God. Notice what I just said there. We can have peace with God and we can have the peace of God. Let me show you what that means. Show you the difference. Did you catch the difference? Peace with God and peace of God. See, peace with God is salvation. We have peace with God. But after we have peace with God, we need the peace of God operating in our lives. And the peace of God is security security in the midst of all that we're going through, in the midst of our trouble. We need the peace of God. You've noticed if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, listen, you may have come down to an altar and you knelt and you prayed. You received the Lord Jesus Christ and you have peace with God. And you leave knowing that your sin is forgiven and heaven's your home. The Holy Spirit's indwelling you and, and all is right between you and the Lord. But you get up and you step back down the aisle and you walk out those doors and you step into a world filled with what? Trouble and problems and strife. And in the midst of that, you not only need peace with God, but you get in salvation. You need the peace of God operating in your life in the midst of all the turmoil and stress and trouble and trials we have. Let me give you some scripture on that. Look at Philippians 4, 6, and 7. You're familiar with these verses. Be anxious for nothing. 
Don't worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Take it to God in prayer. Look at verse 7. Here's what happens when you do that. And the peace of God. I like the next phrase. Which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Maybe you've experienced this yourself or you've seen it in a brother or sister in Christ. Their world has been turned upside down. And yet you look at their lives, you talk with them, and there is a peace that's present there that's beyond all understanding. You can't explain it. It doesn't make sense. Those that are lost and don't know Christ just think, what is it about them? How do they have such strength? Well, it's the peace of God operating in their life. In the midst of trials and struggles and problems, we have the peace of God. How do we get that? Well, let's back up again, if I can. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Take it to God. Give it to Him and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ. Isn't that, the, isn't that what we need in the midst of our troubles? We need a guard, a garrison of our mind and our heart and our very being to be steadfast for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we're talking about the peacemaker. Those of us who are believers, blessed are the peacemakers. And it says what? We shall be called sons, and that's implied daughters of God. Now remember, this is not how we become the sons and daughters of God. That's by grace through faith. That's not telling us how, but because we already are, we're peacemakers. And this calling, being called sons of God or implied daughters of God, this deals more with character than relationship. Haddon Robinson, the great uh, teacher of preachers and great preachers, he died recently. He said this, Hebrew doesn't have many adjectives. I know it's been a long week, you don't want to think about adjectives, but think with it for a moment. It doesn't have many adjectives, so one of the ways they devised adjectives was to talk about the son of something. So you remember Barnabas was called what? The son of consolation. Judas, who was in our Sunday school lesson this morning, he was known as the son of perdition. What that means is that Barnabas was consoling and Judas was doomed. He said in English, when we call someone the son of a gun, we're talking about the parent. We imply, of course, that the child is as explosive and loud as his mother or father. So if someone is called a son of God or a daughter of God, he or she is displaying God's character. Whenever we make peace by bringing people into a relationship with God or by bringing two people together, we we look a lot like God. It's a family resemblance that marks us out as the sons of God. Do you see what it's saying here? When you're a peacemaker, you're showing a family resemblance to your father. You're a son or daughter of God. That's what a son or daughter of God looks like. They look like their father when they're making peace. And there's so much more we could say here. And I told you, we, we just scratched the surface. But let, let's, let's quickly talk about some of the ways that this plays itself out, practically speaking. How are we a peacemaker? What does this look like in our day-to-day life? Well, I think, first of all, it looks like this, sharing the gospel. That's being a peacemaker. Telling people how they can have peace with God. Now, in order to do that, you've got to talk about some bad stuff. You've got to talk about things like sin and judgment and hell. You've got to talk about that. 
You've got to make sure that people understand they're lost so they can be saved. And we're living in a world where people don't want to talk about sin or judgment or hell. But the Bible is clear. All have sinned. Our sin has separated us from a holy God. We're under condemnation. We're going to go to hell if we don't get saved. And so you share that news, and then you get to the good news, the gospel, that is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this is the greatest example of peacemaking, helping people to find peace with God. People are searching. They're looking for answers. They know there's an uneasiness. There's a something or something missing from their life. They try everything. Sex and drugs and power and position. Everything. And there's a void in their life. And you and I know that that void is the hunger, a thirst. That's God's spot. And they need to have peace with God. And they need Jesus Christ. And so in order to be a peacemaker, to live out a peacemaking life, I share the Gospel. But then there's a second way. Settling disputes. Boy, that sounds fun, doesn't it? Settling disputes. Well, I think that would include, first of all, disputes and disagreements that you find yourself in. You you ever find yourself in a dispute or disagreement and you don't even know how you got there? (laughs) You didn't ask for it. You didn't go looking for it. You didn't think you started it. You just find yourself in a dispute and a problem. Uh, Ephesians 4.3 tells us that we're endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit, the bond of peace. And so, however we got there, whether it's our own fault or somebody else's fault or both their fault or however it is, we need to settle the dispute. We need to go and be a peacemaker. And so that means we need to act first. Boy, that's hard, isn't it? We need to move first. Be the first to move toward reconciliation. The Scriptures say to esteem others better than ourselves. Now, let me give you a word of caution here when it comes to peacemaking. Listen, don't compromise the truth for the sake of peace. It it was Luther who said, peace if if possible, but truth at any rate. I like the old Puritan Thomas Watson. He said, we must not seek the flower of peace as to lose the pearl of truth. In other words, don't compromise the truth of the Word of God because there's some things we're going to disagree with others about because God says, this is so... And we're not going to just say, well, let's just be peaceful about it. I'll just, I'll just capitulate to you and I'll agree with you. No, not if God's Word says differently. Don't compromise the truth for the sake of peace. But when it comes to settling disputes, as much as possible, we want to be the first ones to move, the first ones to act, the first one to take the step, esteeming others better than ourselves and seeking to bring about peace between that individual and ourselves. And so it includes disputes we find ourselves in. And then, and here's where it gets really dangerous, it includes helping others to settle their disputes. You know, as a pastor, I've been called in to help to mediate in situations like this. And it could be a very, very dangerous place to be. It's risky. It's dangerous. It's explosive sometimes. And when you're seeking to help other people settle disputes, might be family, friends, co-workers, classmates, whoever it is, you want to move, as the Scripture teaches, in humility and lowliness. We come to them in humility and lowliness. Um, we realize that this is going to be risky. It's going to be hard. It could be painful. True peacemaking is not for wimps. We need the power of the Holy Spirit and His wisdom when mediating. We need the truth of the Word of God. But I need to give you this warning and this caution. 
No matter how well you do at this, no matter how much you're seeking to be a peacemaker with God's help, there's still going to be conflict in this world until Jesus Christ comes to set things right. You're going to find in your life that there are some people who want peace and some who do not. In fact, the Bible says in Romans 12:18, and I can't think of a better verse to give you in this whole topic than this one. Romans 12:18, if it is possible, and I just want you to stop for a moment. If it is possible, that means it may not be possible at times. But if it is possible, as much as depends on who? On them? No. As much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Sometimes you're going to find, I hope not, but I can speak from personal experience, sometimes you may extend an olive branch of peace to someone. Let's just make peace about this. And you know what? They'll take your olive branch of peace and they'll snap it in front of you, stomp on it, and hand it back to you. What do you do? As much as depends on you, you do what's right. You be a peacemaker. You move in humility. You move in, in the, the strength of the Holy Spirit. You try to do what's right. You try to make peace. And if they will not accept it, and be prepared because it says as, as much as it depends on you, it may not. If they will not make peace, you leave them with God. You leave them with God. You, you keep your heart clean. You, you pray for them. You give them to the Lord. You treat them kindly. You, you, you treat them right. But just realize, be, don't be discouraged by it. Be prepared for it to realize that sometimes there are those who are not going to live peaceably. And there's going to be conflict in our world until Jesus comes and makes things right. But I don't know about you, but I just I rejoice in thinking about that, that one day Jesus Christ is going to come and make all things right and we're going to live in peace forever. The book ends in peace. I'll close with something Billy Graham said. He said the motto of the Apollo 2 flight. How many remember the Apollo 2? You remember that? Nobody's going to share their age today. You don't remember the motto then, probably. The, the motto of the Apollo 2 flight was, we come in peace for all mankind. We come in peace for all mankind. In fact, he said the motto was on the plaque, which was left there on the surface of the moon, where the astronauts landed on the Sea of Tranquility. Astronauts Neil Armstrong and... Buzz Aldrin, somebody remembers. I can see if you're awake. Uh, found themselves in a wonderful, peaceful place on the moon. Talk about a peaceful place. Nobody else. Billy Graham said, do you know why? Do you know why it was such a peaceful place? He said, there had never been any humans there before. <laughs> Wherever you get people together, there's going to be strife. There's going to be problems. But here's what Jesus says to us. Blessed are you if you're a peacemaker. For you'll be called a son of God. Father, help us to live this out in our lives. You've called us to be like you. And Lord, you're the God of peace. 
May we not compromise the truth. There are so many who are wanting us just to go along with everything today. But you've told us to stand on your word and to speak the truth in love. Help us to do that. But Lord, help us to be peacemakers. As much as possible, what lies within us with your help, help us to be making peace with others. First of all, help us to help people to know how to make peace with God. Peace with you. Salvation. And then, Lord, help us to have lives filled with peace. To take the first step. To be the first one to act for reconciliation. And then, Lord, as you give us opportunity and you guide us, help us to help others to have peace with each other. We can't do this on our own. You give us the strength. You give us the wisdom. You help us, oh God, I pray. Bless this invitation, and I pray if anyone here does not have peace with you, that you not know Jesus Christ, may this be the moment where they step out in faith and receive Jesus Christ. And then maybe there are others today that are struggling in the midst of all kinds of things, and they need the peace of God. So maybe they need to come today and just pray and cry out to you and give you all those burdens they might have that peace of God which surpasses all understanding that you would guard their hearts and their minds in Christ Jesus. We pray this in his holy and precious name. Amen. 294 is the closing hymn. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. If you don't know Jesus Christ, we'd love to introduce him to you today. Come and let us know. If you need to just come and pray, you need the peace of God, come and pray. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 so clear. You come and do that. If we can help you in some way, let us know. I'll be down at the front. 294, let's stand together and sing, Have Thine Own Way, Lord.